0: Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas, and I'm here with my Commonwealth colleagues, Bruce Mole and Jack Sullivan, for a special pre-primary installment of the podcast. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm fine, thank you, Michael.
1: All right, I'm good, Jack. too.
0: Good, Bruce. So so uh, a lot of political energy has been unleashed by Donald Trump's election two years ago. And nationally, the Democrats are hoping that's going to translate into big gains in the midterm congressional elections with uh, the hope of taking back control of the House. Uh, Yet here in Massachusetts, where the Democrats already hold the overwhelming share of elected offices, we're seeing that energy and the appetite for change play out within Democratic primaries, with several longtime incumbents facing serious challengers for the first time in years. And two of the most prominent races certainly are the seventh congressional district race, where 20-year incumbent Michael Capuano is uh, being challenged by Boston City Councilor Ayanna Presley and in the race for Secretary of State, where Bill Galvin, 24-year incumbent, is facing another Boston City Councilor, Josh Zakem. Uh, Bruce, what do you think is going on here with, with, with folks you know, pouncing on candidates who've been in office for a long time, Democrats in an overwhelmingly Democratic state, who are now kind of both running scared? It
1: seems to me, uh, in a sort of offhand summary, if you will, these um, incumbents are being tied in with this, uh, caught up in this need for change. And because, as you say, Democrats control pretty much everything here, um, the, there's the throw the bums out mentality. And I don't, I don't personally know if it works for me, um, because
0: uh, you like the bums, right? <laughs> <laughs> some,
1: in some ways, I yeah. like the bums, but at the same time. In both of the races, it doesn't appear there's huge differences in, in the outlook politically, uh, political stances of the candidates. So you're really sort of saying to me, the voter, vote for me, you want change, or vote for me, I look more like you, uh, something like that. And, and I don't know if that works. I, th- I think there is a, a restlessness to do something, but I'm not sure,
2: uh, I'm not sure I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, though, that, that it is all that new. I think the, um, the imaginations behind it this year are new, uh, given, um, you know, what, what's happening, like you said, about Trump um, and this idea that the younger generation just doesn't want to wait anymore. Um, but I, I, I think there's always been this, this undercurrent of, uh, um, you know, we need term limits because you got career politicians, and, and I think that's part of what's driving it. Um, but I also, in in one uh, area, I disagree with Bruce as far as um, you know the the not a lot of difference as far as the politics goes. I think with the Secretary of State's office, you are seeing a major difference, and and it's not so much politics because politics doesn't necessarily play a role in what a Secretary of State is supposed to do. Although clearly, uh, Josh Zakim is making politics a uh, a part of the uh, race. Uh, but I think that there's a huge difference on the way that they look at the operation of the office and what the responsibilities of the office are doing and how much more assertive uh, Zakim thinks that the, uh, that the office should be and, and the way he will take it versus um, Galvin who he has uh, – and, and I think a lot of people would look at it that way. Somebody who has um, been pulled along by changes rather than really affected them on his own.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying about there's always been this kind of undercurrent of of uh, of restlessness or some talk about term limits. But I mean, to be honest, that's that's really been in this state sort of a minority view, and it's been a long time since we saw those issues really play out. I'm sort of thinking back to the '80s, you know, when you had Jerry Williams on the radio and the kind of talk radio scene uh, that was really thumping that drum, and and and. You know, even though there's some folks who have that view, still most incumbents don't don't really get thrown out. And I and I was struck by there's been uh, several, a lot of pieces written in the national press about the Capuano and Presley race. And I, I was struck by one that I read recently that that made the remark that in, talking about Capuano that in in looking at the race, it's he hasn't really committed a fireable offense. They said yet he's in a real tough race. And it struck me. That you could sort of say the same about Galvin, and that in general, uh, you know, incumbents do need to sort of commit some kind of a fireable offense before they're they're thrown out. I mean, the the benefit of the doubt goes to th- those who are in power, and 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 I think that's Capuano. Probably he's up there saying, you know, what did I do wrong, guys? Uh, because there really isn't a fireable offense you can point to, but this change. Feel is in the air, well, I th- nonetheless. I think
2: part of it, though, with with Capuano, and I think uh, Presley is is pushing it, is that Capuano represents this static uh, leadership thought process that's in there. You know, he's not. It's not so much that it's about Capuano, but it's about Capuano and um, uh, Pelosi and. The rest of the Democratic leadership, and I think that's kind of what she's pushing—is that you've got this—you've um, you, got this group of people in there who are making policies who, in sort of a pat- patriarchal way, that they think is good for us. And I think that's the argument that she's making. And I think, to an extent, I think it's resonating. Well, I choose
1: to differ with Jack on this one. Uh, I—I've gotten quite a few mailers from Presley, and I don't think she's saying. That Congress needs to change. I think she's saying, "I, I, am going to be more like you, the people that are in this district. I'm, I'm black. I'm a woman. It's t- It's our time. We need. It's our time to to get in, and we need to see the legislature, the Congress needs to see things through our lens. That's why we're needed. Whatever that is, right? Yeah,
0: um, she, you know, she hasn't really been railing as an outsider. I mean, she was a Hillary Clinton backer. She was not trying to. Uh, she was not part of our revolution with Bernie Sanders. So. She's, she's been part of the power, uh, you know, associated with the Democratic insiders working for John Kerry, working for former Joe, you know, former Congressman Joe Kennedy. So. And
1: Zakem, I take your point about Zacom has a different philosophy, but I think he's a Boston City counselor. Uh, this is his first attempt at a statewide race. And I think he's... He's grabbing at all sorts of things. He may be pushing Galvin to do more, which is a great thing. That's what elections are all about. But I don't know that – I think I think the most dramatic thing is – what would you say he's – Galvin's been in office for 24 years. Right. And I noticed – I was on the website the other day, and the picture they have of Galvin there is incredibly young-looking Bill Galvin. When you see him on the street, he's not incredibly young-looking anymore. And then you have a challenger who is incredibly young-looking, almost looks – like a tyke next to to, uh, to Galvin. Yeah, he was a tyke when Galvin was first elected. So. Exactly. So I think that is a major theme as well there, that I'm young, it's our time, throw Gen- the old guys generational out. Generational in a way. Yeah, and I think
2: know. that goes across both. I, I think you're right. I think it goes across as well as with the Capuano-Presley and Presley race. You're talking, you know, somebody who's been there 20 years, who's, you know... Um, he qualifies for social security. Well, he doesn't because he's a congressman, but he's in that social security age range uh, where she is, you know, in her mid-40s and hmm. representing this new wave, this new generation. And I think that is that is part of the theme as well that Michael was talking about earlier, that, you know, this is our time. The ironic thing, too, about the, the congressional race is that
1: Capuano hasn't made a big deal out of it, but he's played it up that if de- this democratic unrest succeeds in returning the House to Democratic control, Capuano and the rest of the congressional delegation would move up and, and gain positions of power. Now, Capuano is not going to be a you know, Richie Neal head of the Ways and Means Committee, but he's going to move up and be more powerful than Ayanna Presley would. And um, basically, Presley's answer to that is, "Who cares? It's time to get rid of him." And and that's where. Uh, I know you should vote for the person and vote for the thing, but you also sort of think who would be more valuable in right. Washington? It's a tough question. Well, I think
2: that's also an argument that uh, would resonate generationally because you're talking an older segment of the voters who remember when Tip O'Neill and um, uh, Joe Moakley um, you know, wielded their clout in uh, Congress and, and Ted Kennedy so they understand what clout can do. But it's been a while since we've had somebody in those uh, positions. So the younger generation may be, may be in line with what uh, Presley is saying, which is, who cares? What does it mean for us? You know, because they don't see the, um, the benefits to it.
0: And, um, you know, the other, last thing
2: I'll say, I'm just sort of struck by this,
0: this sort of talk of change and that it's not necessarily ideologically driven. And the, the sort of point that underscores that is the Boston editorial. Boston Herald editorial page, which I've been following closely in recent months, just kind of fascinated by the the clear sh- sort of turn to the right it's taken under the new uh, uh, editor there, uh, Tom Shattuck. Uh, that page has endorsed both Presley and Zakim in these races. So this this sort of talk of uh, of, of change uh, is is going even to you know the sort of conservative. Uh, of the two Boston daily papers. And I don't know, are they just trying to sort of stir up trouble yeah, and cause I mean, that, that would cause problems for Democrats? I they mean, also endorsed Massey in the in the Democratic primary for governor, who most people uh, sort of see as the
2: underdog in that race. So. And and the far left of the two uh, candidates as well. So it, yeah, it, it does bring up a question, you know, what is the actual reason behind the endorsements?
0: Right. I mean, with the governor's race, maybe they're trying to get Baker a softer target. Or an easier target in their mind, but in the others, I mean, the Democrats are going to carry the day and be elected. So, whatever their intentions, they're they're calling for 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 new fresh blood in those offices to be held by Democrats, who then presumably, back to our theme of the how entrenched they are, they will go on to have long reigns there. Uh, so, it's just an interesting wrinkle. Um, so so sort of let's just continue a little bit with this theme on 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 outsiders and 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 in particular. This is playing out in a few uh, legislative races, uh, and in particular, a couple of Boston House races that have, that have, that have caught my attention are uh, the race that, uh, that Jamaica Plain State Rep Jeff Sanchez is in, where he's facing a strong challenge uh, from uh, Nika Elugardo, and then Byron Rushing, veteran lawmaker from the South End, uh, is facing a slew of challengers, but one in particular um, uh, John Santiago, who's a, a, a emergency room doctor, has been endorsed by a couple of progressive political groups in Massachusetts. Elogardo, who's, who's challenging Sanchez, has also picked up the backing of a, of a number of progressive groups. And I just find this fascinating that in both cases you have, um, you know, pretty liberal leaning lawmakers, uh, uh, both, uh, you know, minority, uh, lawmakers, uh, Sanchez, the son of Puerto Rican uh, parents, and and Byron Rushing, an African-American lawmaker. And uh, they're both in leadership positions in the House, uh, which you would think would bring sort of clout to the issues that they support, and their backers would be would be sub- cheered by their rise. But instead, it seems like their rise in the House is kind of part of what's causing trouble for them with, with the challengers saying that they're Overly tied to this kind of calcified, top-heavy power structure in the House. I, th-
2: I think, in the words of Tom Menino, uh, Bob DeLeo is an alcatraz around their necks. You know, he. Um, there you go. It, it, I th- I, th- I think it comes back to that again. Clout. You know, what does clout mean, and who does it mean it to? And in the definition, I think of of younger voters of these outsiders. Clout means that you're entrenched in the um, in in. You know that that cabal that's running the legislature, and I think that it becomes a pejorative um, for people because, and, and we've talked about this before. Um, you know, off off microphone, as they say, um, that it, what what they bring to it, what they're what they're doing isn't so much bringing their values. And in the case of Jeff Sanchez, you know, bringing his progressive values uh, to bear on the way that the budget is, um, formulated as much as he's carrying the water for Bob DeLeo. At least that's the perception. And I think that that's what's weighing him down and that's what's bringing, you know, the challenges out. So just a
1: little context to this. I went back and uh, looked at a recent story I did and how unusual it is for someone to challenge an incumbent in the state legislature. Uh, I counted 25 races, that's out of 200, 25, 22 in the House and three in the Senate, where no incumbent is running. And so that's where you have a sort of wide open race. But in 78% of the 200 candidates running face no opposition in the primary. And so in a lot of case, in most cases, that's a Democrat is, is, is an incumbent is going to cruise to through the primary and then... To probably face a Republican if they face a Republican. Over half don't even face a challenger in the final. So it's it's a very rare thing. And I think, uh, so the issue you're bringing up is that these people in leadership who may have, quote-unquote, disappointed some of their followers by not being more a, a firebrand for the issues once they are inside the circle of power. It's a fascinating uh, debate, really, because you get up... You get power in the legislature by moving up through the ranks almost like at a corporation. And so you become part of that, a cog in the machine, if you will. And you don't get to the top as an independent who just does whatever they want. So you're criticizing people for being part of a system, really. And I don't know the answer to that. Because um, I think if you ask Byron Rushing and, or Jeff Sanchez, they say they do bring their values to their yeah, job. absolutely. Um the question is whether they – when push comes to shove, can they just tell everyone to screw? I'm going to do what I want to do. And again, probably they can't
2: and get anything done. Uh, so it's, it's a fascinating – Yeah, I, th- I think that's where it comes down to. I, I, again, I'm not saying that Jeff uh, Sanchez doesn't, um, you know, uh, tout the, his progressive ideals. It's the perception because when you see a budget comes out, uh, come out, you say, this is Bob DeLeo's budget. You know, and, and I think everybody agrees this is Bob DeLeo's budget. Maybe not so much, you know, under uh, um, Brian Dempsey, um, but Dempsey and DeLeo were much more uh, ideologically in tune, I think, than Sanchez and DeLeo were. Um, but I see, I think that you see it now, um, and, and I think you saw it also uh, when uh, Sanchez was uh, chair in the health, comm- health uh, finance committee, that a lot of the um, – issues that came out or didn't come out of that committee were tied to what DeLeo wanted. Uh, and I think that that's what's, um, what, what opens them up to criticism. And, and again, it's, it's perception as much as it is reality. I think you're right that you know, there, there's a certain um, uh, format that you have to follow to be able to you know, gain that power. But I think the, the perception is that you've, you've compromised yourself too much to get there.
1: Michael, do you think
2: uh, you've written about the two races?
1: Is it is it an accent or just a freak that Sanchez is from JP and Rushing is from uh, the South End? Both very liberal areas. Is 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 it that anger we were talking about earlier?
0: Yeah, I think. It, I mean, I think that I don't think they'd be facing this kind of challenge in you know sort of more more moderate leaning districts. I think there's a disconnect between the political leanings of their districts, and in particular, what is seen as the kind of more centrist to conservative leanings of the House that they're part of. But it's not just that they're part of a House where they've, you know, could say, I've been trying to push against it. They're seen as, you know, they're seen as part of the problem, in a sense, by by extension, by being part of, part of that, that top Echelon of, of DeLeo's leadership and Elogardo. Uh, I mean, she's she's spun off a, a few pretty good lines when she's asked about Sanchez. You know, having power and isn't that good for the district? And we shouldn't throw that out. She says, "Well, I think he really what he has is permission, not power. In other words, you know, he he has you know as much power as DeLeo gives him permission to run with, but ultimately he's not he's not really making the calls." Um, you know one other thing that I was just sort of struck by um, is I've noticed that in neither case have you know has DeLeo been particularly involved in their races and I think that is uh, telling and and frankly probably smart politics. I mean I think if they're asked they they would both I'm sure say good things about him and his leadership but I don't see that either of them is playing up their close ties. To him, or using him in literature. I mean, sometimes you'd you'd want a picture of yourself with the speaker. That sounds like a, a pretty uh, well, I think good.
2: They spent a lot of years since somebody's a good selling picture point. With the speaker. Well,
0: I I mean the one thing I was I was reminded of, and this goes back some years, but when Tom Fennerin was speaker, I, I always remember. Um, again, he went around and was trying to be helpful as he could to his members, as he would say it, uh, and he did a fundraiser in Brookline with a woman who was the rep at the time named Ronnie Sydney, uh, and. Um, that was her last term in office. Uh, she was defeated the next year by I mean, this is sort of uh, we're dating myself by Frank Smezek threw her out and now he's himself been in there for a long time. He's leaving this year, retiring after being in the legislature. but Smyzek basically ran a campaign against her that just tied her to to Fennerin at a time when Fennerin was you know kind of the the boogeyman among uh, among liberals in the state.
1: It's interesting too, just like our earlier discussion about um Capuano, with a lot of experience in the House, and if the House flips Democratic, how his power and the, the clout of Massachusetts would increase. In both those races, the, the two gentlemen that are being challenged are at the very top of House leadership. So if you bring in a newcomer into the system, you have no say, no clout at all. And I, 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 I would think it's even less than in Congress, probably. Uh, so, again, for the voter, it's, a, it's an equation that is, do you throw the guy out because he didn't live up to all, all the, the principles that you want and go with someone who will have no clout to do anything? And it's a, t- it's a very tough choice for a voter if you're, if you're mad, but can you get anything? It seems like we're, again, talking about the system on Beacon Hill, a lot of unrest about that. The few people that are challenging incumbents, that's what's driving them.
0: Right. And there was uh, there's also been just in the last few days uh, a slate of women challengers that have have come out and and sort of said they're all pledging together, that they're going to uh, 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 pledge to stand up and demand more roll call votes, more transparency, essentially, you know, the sort of, you know, age old call to sort of open up the house, uh, uh, you know, in a way that that is not how it operates now as, you know, this kind of closed closed system. And and so again, I think there, It's interesting that that up until now, this kind of unrest and the and the sort of hostility that's that's kind of I think been produced by Trump's election hasn't really seemed to hit the legislature. And you know, it's, it's sort of interesting that I mean, the legislature even under DeLeo is seen as kind of pushing a lot of progressive. Uh, uh, measures, and they even, DeLeo even formed uh, what they call it, uh, the shorthand has been the Trump committee to keep an eye on Trump and all the horrors he's going to bring.
2: Which hasn't met yet, has it? Yeah,
0: there's been some question about what it's doing, and again, whether that's more uh, of a figurehead. But but I think that you can sort of draw a line and say that in some ways, that, that sort of antipathy toward what's happened in Washington is kind of making its way, you know, toward Beacon Hill. I, you know, it's not clear whether this little effort by these challengers, or uh, you know, the slate of challengers, or these individual challenges to these leadership uh, figures, is gonna is gonna lead to any change. I mean, obviously, if if uh, if if either Sanchez or 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 rushing are defeated, that's gonna be you know that'll that'll be pretty big news, and and it'll certainly gonna gonna be noticed on Beacon Hell. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: with that, we've run out of things to to fight about. We haven't talked about the Woo Socks yet, Jack. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) For for our listeners, Jack is not a fan of the Woo
2: Socks name. I absolutely will go on record of that controversial stance. I do not like the Woo Socks. Would you like Woo Woo (laughs) Socks? Well, I think that
0: that was, we're going to reserve an entire episode of the podcast. To have that one out because I just don't think in a few minutes we can really get to the bottom of bottom of that for, question. For anybody
2: who is running for office, I will put this out: if you call them woo socks, you will not get my vote. <laughs> well,
0: and with that, we hope that uh, that uh, whoever you're voting for, that everybody does get out uh, on September 4th uh, for the primary, and we will uh, check in and and sort of see where all this lands after after the election, but. Uh, For now, this has been another installment of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. For my colleagues, Bruce Mole and Jack Sullivan, I'm Michael Jonas. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.